Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. I am your host, Mary Catherine Ham. I'm here with my friend Vic Mattis, as always, of the Free Beacon, and we are your morning show for any hour, even happy hour. Just, you know, throw one back and enjoy. How are you doing, Vic? Hello, Mary Catherine. It's funny that you say that. Morning show for any hour, because you could have a Bloody Mary yeah. at any time. And apparently there are people, when I researched my book for vodka... I found out available it, at Amazon.com. Thank you very much. And Barnes Noble. When the St. Regis at the the King Cole Bar, that's where in New York City, that's where the Bloody Mary was invented. Ooh. And so people go there to just have the Bloody Mary. Oh, I've never and made this pilgrimage it's, and I should. It's fine. It's fine. I feel like I make a better Bloody Mary. It's but fine. that's okay. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. Well, this simplifies my life. I'll just make a pilgrimage to your house. But, yeah, that's, that's right. That's that right. Moment. It's like I'll make you a margarita. You don't have to go to the Floridita in Havana. <laughs> but but the guy there at the St. Regis was saying you know, people will get, because it's famous, people will get like Bloody Marys at 10 p.m. That's weird. That is but a little weird. It's a little weird. weird, but like we said, no judging. No judging. No judging. You can do, have Do it your thing. Wanna. Do your thing. So a morning show for any time. I, I just wanted to wish, I'm doing fine. I just wanted to wish you a happy, and our listeners, a happy summer solstice. Oh. Unless yeah. that's too, I hope is that's Mercury not too. Is Mercury in retrograde? I was going to say, it's, 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 I hope it's not too pagan to celebrate it. But <laughs> Do you know, I will say, throughout the pandemic, I have thought many a time that many of the many of my social media friends, the Venn diagram of those who are like, science, uh-huh. and those who talk about Mercury, Mercury being in retrograde, Mercury. Same, 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 same circle. Yes. That's right. It's, it's okay. time to celebrate. But somebody's going to email me that I'm like, really need to watch out for Mercury and retrograde. And I, yeah. you, can, you can inform me. That's way beyond me. I don't even know what's <laughs> happening there. I don't even know what's happening there. But I do like to something try to Something about spend... my sign or something. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Of course. I, I do like to celebrate as much as I can outside because it's the longest day of the year. And there, it straddles from the 21st to the 22nd. So, you know, you're listening to it now. It's still summer solstice time. Get out there. Enjoy. the. Have a drink. Yeah. For the longest day of the year. Do you do anything special or no? You just... You know, know what? I didn't even know it was today. But now I'm looking forward to it. Well, you know what? And I, Kate hates when I remind her after, like, on the 23rd, I go, you know, every day is getting a little shorter. Shh, oh, shh. Heck. <laughs> negative. How are you? How was your Father's Day? I'm good. Our Father's Day was good. We went down to North Carolina. My husband's father retired, so he oh. had a party. And so we got to have a Father's Day gathering Many with, with both of the grandpas and nice. the, and dad. So that was a good that was a good time. Got the kids all dressed up in their matching dresses all three kids and it's matching. not even easter but they still do I for know. various occasions well, I, you. grandma oh, they're girls grandma requested oh. matching dresses for the girls mm-hmm. for this event and i said you got it <laughs> and we did we did matching shoes as well so they had little vans that matched little checkerboard vans okay we're talking about for dresses. two or all three for all three wow and it was the first time that my youngest had ever had shoes on yes. now with my first because she was my first, she had all the footwear. Oh. As a as a three month old, she's in like she's in like handmade booties, and she had some leopard print boots at one point. <laughs> I mean, it was like fuzzy, insane stuff that what? I I put what? on her at all times. Yeah. It was always coordinated. She always had a hat. Yeah. Third baby, yeah. camo onesie. She just, looks good. It's fine. It's good to me. Right. She doesn't wear bows in her hair. Like, that. that's new to her as well. So I put her in this dress with a bow in her hair oh and some shoes on, and she was deeply confused by the whole thing. <laughs> She's she like, trying to, like, take it out or no? She's what just like, are what's the, happening? No, it was mainly the shoes. She was like, why can't I suck on my feet? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> why can't yeah, I? What I, is this? I spend a lot of time playing with my feet, and now I cannot yeah. reach them. Yeah. But, and this is, by the way, this is the two genders. I unboxed 
the tiny vans, which are like fit on the palm of my hand. Oh, I mean, yeah. they're so yeah. small. Yeah. I, un- and they cost like way too much money for being that small, but I opened them and was like, Oh my gosh, look at these. I sent a picture to like everyone I knew. I'm like yelling from the, the uh-huh. porch, like, look at my baby's shoes. They're so cute. And later I, I had left them on the, on the coffee table in the box. And Steve at some point came in, opened the box, took out the shoes put them where they belong and put the box like to be recycled says not a word to me. And I said to him later, Oh, how, how can you not remark upon the deadly cuteness of these tiny vans? And he's like, just completely unfaced. It's a shoe. Is that what he's thinking? Because that's what I'm thinking. You know, and- he's like, the sh- well, they were on the coffee table. That's not yeah. where they go. I'm sure yeah. that's not and where they go. And the shoe box? The shoe box is on the table? How long does that have? How long do you have to keep the shoe box for? That's what he's Well, thinking. I have I have a thing about keeping the shoe box. Uh, do you have a stack of shoe boxes? No, but I have a... Because I've seen those. In my childhood, that was a thing that people did. They kept the shoe boxes to keep their shoes nice. And so Steve, oh, okay. Steve corrected sure. this behavior. I mean, he's like, well, you don't it's need to keep the shoe box in the closet or in a rack. <laughs> yes, or we something. do that now. But I do have a little attachment. Also, the shoe box <laughs> itself was very small, yeah, and that was very cute. cute. That, the bo- yes, that the, was cute. The shoe box was cute. That's really that's cute. That's that's what we've come. So we did now. that, and yes. then the the kids are off. The big kids are off to another camp. I really packed June full. I didn't Camps. mean to, and I'm excited for July to be like a little mm-hmm. more chill. But they're at a camp now. Now this is the difference between like um, more urban and more rural mm-hmm. areas of the United States. They went to their indoor masking camp in Durham in the mm-hmm. liberal college town. Now they're going to a camp in like more rural North Carolina. Yes. And it's like COVID never existed. So they, they get to just do whatever they want to down there. And they went fishing and did archery yesterday. Nice. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah, it's good. Is it archery with like the suction cups yeah, or do I, archery do, with actual like that arrowheads? Is, that is a That's, fair point. Do I want my oldest to know how to use a weapon? I don't know. Like, you know, like when they're aiming and then they turn to talk to you and then, you know, <laughs> it's pointing at you now. I assume they have instruction okay, for this. Okay, good. And anyway. Wow. So, so they're doing that, mm-hmm. having a blast. And Steve and I, while the kids are gone, went to see Top Gun. Oh, yes. You told me about... I'm so glad... First of all, I'm so glad you saw it while it was in theaters, because you would not do it justice if you saw it at home. No, I was definitely aiming to see it in the theater. By the way, this is a, this is a little segment I like to call mom movie reviews, which is like okay. it's like at least a month after something has come yes. out to yes. eight months after something say, has come I love, out. Because I love how you texted me and said, well, you know, with limited spoilers. And I was like, you know, this movie has been out for a month. Yes, I but think it's okay. people who listen to this podcast are also moms. Uh, oh, wow. And okay. they're like, they're like, oh, no, don't tell me. I have to see this yes. within the next four months. That's true. That's true. Our Nielsen, our Nielsen data has come back. Yes. And it showed many of our Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we definitely pay for ratings. <laughs> On getting hammered, yes. getting hammered investigates. Thank, thank you. Who for listens the, the, to us? Those were the podcast audiometers. Yes. Yes. So, uh, Top Gun was it crowded the theater? It was not crowded, but there was a generous crowd there, and it oh, was a Monday at four thirty. Yeah, considering so, it's been out for a month and it's a Monday. Yeah. Did you see it? Was it in a special theater and IMAX? Just or a regular. I know. Atmos I know. Sunny would frown upon me. Just a regular. This but, is funny because suddenly. I sound the more like film erudite, whereas I'm the the heathen on right. that other show. 
where I have no idea what to talk about. But now I can yeah, ask you can you really, questions. Yeah, now, like, oh, I, I now so I'm the heathen. Right, right. No, but we, we just went to a regular, with the nice seats. I got to go got to go with the nice seats, well, yeah, nice sure. seats obviously. <laughs> and then I got like the giant popcorn and stuff. We went all Good, out. Good, you went all out. I got out. some Sour Patch Kids. I had the whole experience. The popcorn was actually so large that if you recline your seat, I think this is a design flaw. If you recline your nice seat, the popcorn is so large that it cuts off the... part of the screen. <laughs> So you got to keep it on the like side. It needs to well, be somewhere else. You keep it on the side to share with well, you and I put, Steve. I put it on, Who's holding it? No, I put it on the tray, so maybe that was the mistake. Oh, you had a tray. Oh, yeah, we had a tray. That is fancy. Yeah. So, but the point being, very fun movie. It did all the things I wanted it to do. You want to leave? All the things. You know what it did? You left the theater in a good mood. I did. Right? And there was a moment where I was like, y'all testing me. Am I not going to leave this theater in a good <laughs> right, mood? Right, is it? right. Is the thing going to happen? And I was, like, annoyed by that. But it all, you know. Oh, my gosh. It just did exactly How, what I wanted uh, it to do. Uh, uh, what did you think about the Val Kilmer scene? Oh, I thought they handled it so nicely. Yeah. I thought he looked quite good. Mm-hmm. And He has to wear a scarf. I think that's part of it. Uh, I thought he looked quite good. He is my, he is possibly my largest childhood crush. Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer, yeah. I was obsessed. That's very cool. Yes. And I, I was always doing the math on, like, could I marry him? How much older is he? I think he's. I think he's exactly twenty years older than I am. Is that right? Yes. Because he was, you know. So it is within the realm of possibility. Yeah, even, just so everybody knows. Even before that, you know, he did right before Top Gun. He did Real Genius, yes. which is a great '80s movie. Fantastic movie. Yeah. I've always thought. I think he's a little, a little loopy. Yes, but, yes, yes. But I think he's a great actor. He's an, he's oh, an yeah. incredible actor. Yeah. And I think he deserved an Oscar for Doc Holliday in Tombstone. Yes. And it's a he was robbed. Yeah. And I'll never stop saying it. And he was great in Heat. And he went to Juilliard. Yes. So, you know. I've always thought he was fantastic. Yeah. So it was nice to what see him. And I thought it was about, such a nice tribute. What did you think about the older, hot, single mom, Jennifer Connelly? Oh, my gosh. Huge fan. Huge fan. First of all, I want to take her haircut and her hair color in and say, make mine look like this. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know what's so funny? I think Kate mentioned the same thing about the hair. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic hair. And it was appropriately side-parted, which is a generational oh. shift that's happening oh. right now. A lot of younger women have middle parts. So hers, yes. was, like, hers was correctly parted, uh. indicating that she was age-appropriate for yeah. Maverick, which yeah. I, I loved. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I was a little confused by this. Did she not live in the same home as Charlie, his last paramour, I know, it looked like it, it looked like the same neighborhood. Do they just you lodge expecting, his lovers in the her, same yes, spot? You're expecting her to like be the neighbor and say, "Oh, be careful with that guy" or something, you know? <laughs> no, but I, I thought that was interesting because any any it of the like it. any of the military officers, it would sort of make sense if they have the same home yes. because it's an on yes. base but or like she it's a lives perk. In the same. But why would she live in the same yeah, place? Yeah. Well, this is all part of Sonny's theory that this is purgatory. So this is. I think mind. it's a decent it's, theory. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting, but huge. Huge fan. Yeah. I thought my, I've always liked my, Miles Teller as well. Oh, he's very good in this. Steve is a little sore that Miles Teller has made the standalone mustache very hot right now because Steve was ahead of this curve. Sure. Yes. Yes, and he was. And he wants everyone to know that he's not being trendy. Oh, right. You know? Oh, he's following Miles Teller. Right. Miles Teller is following no. him. He's a very you – Miles know? Teller will get into the role like he did. If you see Whiplash, he Ooh, did the one as a – a boxer and things. Movies that have been forgotten as well, but it's nice to see him back. I, what did you think of the new Iceman, the young Iceman, Hangman? Enjoyed enjoyed yeah, him as yeah, well. Very cocky. Yeah, I just, I just thought it was so well yeah. done. And there were so many places where there could be... 
Like there just wasn't a ton of social commentary. They didn't no, fall just, into all these. No, that's what I'm saying. Just don't beat me over the head with Well, they this just stuff. didn't fall into yeah. those traps. So there could have been discussion about who the enemy was, oh, right? Sure. And there could have been apologies for American foreign policy oh, based on who yes. the enemy was. But they're just like the enemy. We're just we've gonna gotten go... in trouble all the time. Yeah. Everywhere we've gone. Right, right. We're just like going to do yeah. the thing. It's yeah. the enemy. Just trust us, right? No. I'm, like, I'm okay with that. The that's enemy right. is basically the nuclear weapons below the ground. It that's is. that's it the. There's only one country that has F-14s, right? A rogue nation. That's Iran. Yes. So that's my. That's, and then I'm, I'm the other one that I appreciated, female pilot, who she's just great. does the hell out yeah, of her and job. Yes. And there was no need for a subplot about her old sexual harassment claims or anything. Yeah, to yeah. Prove, tail hook. There right, was no tail hook. To show her. that like the no. the damage in these no. institutions, like yeah. we we just didn't have to do that. She just really flew well and yes. did the thing. Yeah. And it was awesome. And she was awesome. I, I fell in love with her as well. I'm not surprised. Yes, but but you know, but it, like, if, could you? I could not imagine like if you were in a position to date her to actually date her. Like, oh, what do you, well, I'm an editor. I'm, you know, like <laughs> hanging out at the bar. Really, that's yeah. what. Oh, great. There's a yeah. there's a power there differential yes, there. There yeah. is a there coolness is. differential. Well, I'm, so, I'm so glad you enjoyed the movie. Oh, loved it. And Steve did too. I well, and I feel like I'm. I feel like you and I have discussed in the past. We yeah, have yeah. sort of every man taste. We for, do. Uh, we do. We do. I and I. I, and I do think Sonny's right. Now, Sonny, of course, Sonny Bunch is our, our friend who is also a host of the, mm-hmm. the Sub Beacon podcast and knows a lot about movies. He has to say it in the most trolly way by saying Top Gun original was not a good movie and this is a good movie. You didn't see it in the theater. I do think that this improved upon the first it one. It did. It did. It improved upon, and that's not to say that the original was bad. It is yeah. such an enjoyable movie from one of the great movie years of all time, 1986. It's yes. the same year as Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Platoon. And Aliens. 84 was also insane. 84 was good. Just those, it was a good time for movies. You know, one thing we lost in this version from the first that I know you were probably upset about. Uh, A love scene? Yep. Yep. Well, you know, you got, you got, you got, you know what you got instead. Oh, it's it, very, it was it's gauzy. Very 2020. It was gauzy. It was not just gauzy, but you got like a deep emotional conversation instead. <laughs> I don't have time for this. Why am I sitting through the deep emotional conversation? He needed to have that. He no, was... I, I'm with Ozzy Osbourne. You know, he used to say, let's get to the meat and potatoes, he would say. Let's get to the meat and potatoes. <laughs> so the All times right. have changed since 1986. Because yeah. I remember watching Top Gun with my parents like, meh, meh, meh. Oh, well, it's more awkward if you're with your parents seeing this. Well, you know, it was 1986. Yeah, what was I supposed uh, to do? And also, you know, I just read about this. This was very interesting. The screenwriters were interviewed, and they had, from the original Top Gun, they filmed that after the movie. Ah. And what happened was they showed it, and the Chicago exhibitors were like, "We want a little bit more." Ah, I see. The Chicago well, exhibitors. It's you know another. They thing, wanted the meat and potatoes. I didn't think it. I also didn't think, and I appreciated bringing back the old songs. I didn't think it had a new signature song that really hit me. Oh, so there's like, a Lady Gaga. The song. La- I know there's a Lady Gaga song. Mm-hmm. I, I liked it, yes. but it was no "Take My Breath Away." No, that's the song. I think at the end, and the, the volleyball scene is "One Republic," okay. which is "I Ain't Worried," and I thought that it I worked it. well. It worked well. I prefer listening to that. Uh, song rather than like me blasting out playing with the boys. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna say. Just, you know. No, I enjoyed. I enjoyed all the callbacks to the old one. It was yeah. just it was like this warm bath of nostalgia, but it was it was clever in the right parts and stupid in the right parts and unbelievable in the like, right parts. You, and I just did you had like a blast. the performance of your cousin John Hamm. I did. Yes. Yes. Did I, have I ever told you that? Uh, so my brother's name is John. Yes. Hamm. He lives in L.A. <laughs> and I asked him, especially at John Hamm's height uh-huh. in the in the, ma- the, the prime Mad Men days, I said, D- "Can you just get like any reservation you want if you call yes. a restaurant and say I'm John Hamm because yeah. it's true?" Yeah. And he said, "No, but I've seen a lot of really disappointed hostesses." <laughs> 
Because you put your name down, right? They put it, okay, yeah. hang No, he, and he walks in. I wouldn't even bother to spot because it's, is it 1M, 2Ms? Two, two right? Ours is 1M. Yeah. Yeah, and his 2Ms. The, the, right. the more famous John Hamm is 2Ms. But, but he's... <laughs> He actually walked up one time, and the woman's the woman's like, "It's not him." <laughs> Did she really? Yeah. Oh man, so sad. Yeah. Well, okay. It happens. So anyway, everybody goes. Moms in our audience yeah. who have not gotten away to see this yet, yeah. go see it. It's super fun. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Good. Wonderful. And you'll love Jennifer Connelly, and you'll be like, "I need my hair, oh, hair like I, that." I'm not usually, as you know, attracted to older women, and. <laughs> She's at least two years older than I am, right? She's 51. Yeah, she's 10 years older than I am, yeah. Uh, and I'm like, I just, you could stare at her all day. I know. I'm going to put screen. a poster on my wall and be like, this is You're my Jennifer This is my goal. <laughs> this is my goal. Yeah. But I'm never going to have her brows because I obliterated mine and she, she did not. She, those brows are something else. God, they're amazing. They were, I think, they, they, so when she was younger, they must have been like oh, really no, she, out of control. Oh, no, she was a Brooke Shields acolyte yes. in this way in yes. the 80s. In Labyrinths, they, they're like full right, on. full on. And she just but never took hers out. It, pay, it, and it, I actually, it pays off. See, now, if I could nail down an interview with Jennifer Connelly, this is what I would ask her. 30 minutes. Why didn't you take your eyebrows out? Yes. What, what led you to yeah. make this fabulous yeah. decision? Yeah. And did it unlock your potential in all these other ways? Maybe that's the secret. That's that's, right. that's how you there don't you age. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show. By the way, this is. <laughs> okay, no, no, we're no, gonna we do, do some have news. Things. We got a lot of we're news. Gonna do some news. Okay. Brace yourself. Okay, this this one's we're gonna shift from very unserious to very serious. So this week, the FDA and the ACIP, which is the the group of advisors, HIP yes. is sometimes what it's called. Yes. The group of advisors that discusses vaccines and gives them the go-ahead or what have you. And Rochelle Walensky herself, the CDC director, recommended vaccination for COVID-19, Pfizer and Moderna approved for six months to five years old. Recommended, which is not to say is authorized, right? I mean, it's just the, right. so they gave but the go, they, they went, gave the nod. They went beyond authorized to recommended, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. And... I know we're, we're going to get all those warning flags on this podcast, aren't we? But this has been... It really depends. Look, this has been annoying me because I just want to talk about the actual truth of yeah. the numbers and not... You just want to talk about basic And what I points. what I think has happened is over the last few years, there's been... And I don't know why we did this. We're uh. the only country who did this fear-mongering campaign yeah. about how dangerous COVID is to children. Mm-hmm. We're the, right. Everyone else was like... Oh, what a blessing. It seems that it doesn't affect right. children. Of all that the badly. demographics, of all the demographics <laughs> we're talking about senior citizens, people with diabetes, the immunocompromised, the, the lowest risk yeah. are the kids, particularly the youngest kids, particularly six month old. Yes. You were telling me you just when you we were discussing what we were gonna talk about, you said you felt like you were taking crazy pills. Yeah, it, well because everybody's just like again, we had this campaign sort of unrelenting in the U.S. that included closing the schools, which sort of led to this vicious cycle of, well, why would they close the schools if it wasn't a deadly virus to children? Well, then that reinforces the idea that this is this terribly dangerous thing to children. It's really not. There is a subset of the population that believes beyond all available data that it is incredibly dangerous Mm -hmm. to children, and they have shielded their children in really, really problematic ways, not just from school, but from yeah. All sorts of social interactions. And, and those folks are really desperate to get a vaccine. Now, if you believe what they believe, it makes sense that you would be desperate yeah. to get a vaccine. But it's sort of like the misinformation about the severity of COVID to children has led us to sort of fluffing this vaccine up yeah. 
with misinformation about the efficacy yeah. of the vaccine yeah. in order to assuage the old misinformation yeah. that we've been putting yeah. out. And that is bad. Yeah. The, the other thing is this. So the people who are extremely worried that they're, again, we're not talking about the immunocompromised. Yeah, I should, not, I should note, yeah. I think it's good to have it available yeah, yeah, for those who want, who want every defense at their fingertips. And if they need that. Especially if they are immunocompromised and are especially right. sensitive. These children. Yes. But if you have a healthy child and you get that child vaccinated now, right? And let's assume that at some point they're back out now, you know, interacting with other people, going to school, maybe still wearing a mask, even though they're vaccinated, and somehow they still get COVID. Right. The backup is, the answer to this, by the way, is, oh, it would have been so much worse had they not been vaccinated. Right. Except, no, okay. And there are and, people who, who claim that they have, who, who tout data set, showing well, that. And this is the thing that bothers me about this is like the data is just not there. Yeah. And the, the data is not there for a really good reason. The data is not there because in a relatively small randomized control trial, you're not going to have enough children severely affected in either placebo right. or vaccine group to be able to draw conclusions because so few children are severely affected that you you just can't make extrapolations from that. And yet, that's what they're doing. They are. And, and in fact, I saw, you know, a guy on, on Twitter who is a doctor showing charts, showing that this is the leading cause, one of the leading causes of death for children is COVID yes, by and the way, hospitalization. Yeah, our friend, my friend Kelly out of Georgia, K-E-L-L-Y. K-E-L-L-E-Y out of Georgia. She runs COVID-19 in Georgia. It's a, it's a website that she started. She's like, she's a basically a hobbyist data mm-hmm. analyst sure. and she's fantastic at yeah. it. And she keeps catching the CDC in these right. mistakes that exaggerate the problems yeah. with COVID for kids. The most recent and several, a lot of doctors have piled on this and said like this slide that they used in the presentation, right. which then is used to make the decision. Right is basically misinformation. And what they did, so the slide is erroneous. It leverages data that not only has COVID-19 as an underlying cause, but a contributing cause. So so it's the with COVID for and yes, of, COVID of COVID problem. It inflates COVID numbers and their mortality numbers for kids. And then this is the most problematic part. It compares cumulative, like over two years mortality for COVID to one year annualized for other causes. Uh-huh. So it essentially double counts yes. COVID. Now, all the doctors who have talked about this and all like good credit to Kelly in Georgia for finding this, but as she says openly, these aren't like super expert issues. This is this is a very obvious you need to compare yeah. apples to apples and you're not doing it. And that is the kind of thing they're using to push Yes all these advisors to say yes to the vaccine. I, it's just, it's so irresponsible. And, I, you know, the, it's the people who are in charge of the data that what they'll do is they present it a certain way and they'll get, and if you're, if, if you're a higher up and you're in this position, you know, you're looking at it and they're laying it out for you, then it makes sense to you the way they've laid it out. So, oh my gosh. Well, and sensational, about it. sensational yeah. obviously is yeah. more likely to make people move right. than a sober right. analysis of the actual right. facts. And when, when Kelly runs through it and 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 goes through what actually happens here, the 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 ranking of the cause of death for kids goes down to like eight, nine, yes. ten. That's- so obviously that's much less scary. Yeah. 
and is information parents should have. We shouldn't be using the bad right. information. Even in the Atlantic, the Atlantic published a piece called, you know, you shouldn't wait to vaccinate your kids. Even in these pieces that, yeah. that argue for it, you find sentences like this. Efficacy against severe disease in children is expected to be very, very high for both brands of shots, though neither clinical trial reported enough COVID hospitalizations to properly calculate those stats. So again, you don't actually have the data, but you're drawing a conclusion nonetheless. For a much larger population than what you were able to test on. And I believe Dr. Marty McCary uh, was saying the same thing. Yes, uh, the sample sizes are too. They're, they're, they're just too small. small. They and can't find enough sick kids, which is a good thing. And the but. same, the same is true for uh, for boosters for five to yeah. eleven, which they're just recently recommended. Boosters. And he's just saying, why? Mm-hmm. And also, we're not accounting in either in either the uh, the studies, the Pfizer and Moderna studies for the young kid mm-hmm. six to uh, six months to five years. Those studies were done mostly on kids who had not encountered COVID. Post Omicron. Most children, 75%, they think, have encountered and gotten through some form of COVID. So to say, to extrapolate the the non-COVID exposed children's results to the wider population now that they've all had Omicron is also not accurate. And, and one of the, Vinay Prasad, who's a great, oh, he's yeah. a really interesting dissenting doctor on Twitter, who's nonetheless not blocked or anything. Because Amazingly. He's, he, 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 keeps it, he keeps it within the navigational beacons. He really... <laughs> if you have, it is, it's a 40 minute, it's about a 40 minute video. Yes, he has. Uh, he, but if he you does, have 40 minutes, it's worth your time. Yeah, he does YouTube videos about all sorts of data that comes out of the CDC. And again, Marty Makari makes this argument. Yeah. He makes this argument. This is problematic for trust in public health as we go forward in right. in vaccines that already exist like you can't mess around with people like this and use your sort of medical paternalism to be like well they don't know any better and so we can't give them the real facts no, no. you should deal with them honestly and they're not doing that and it's a problem i'm going to play a few minutes of of prasad's laying out of this case just to give you an idea of like just how little we're working with here. And it might be sort of, it's a longish clip, but it's worth listening to because he's good at explaining these things. This is a key point in this is um, from the uh, Pfizer BioNTech uh, uh, vaccine. Seven cases, uh, this is about severe disease. Seven cases in participants two through four met the criteria for severe COVID-19. Six in the vaccine group, two cases occurred post-unblinding and one in the placebo group. So that's seven total in the entire study met qualifications for having severe COVID so that you could draw conclusions from seven. Mm-hmm. Six of those cases are in the vaccinated group, one in the, un, in the placebo. Yes. Yes. Now, he make, makes the point, which is correct, don't draw conclusions from that either yeah. because these are right. tiny, tiny numbers. I'm sorry, did, did you say six in the vaccine and one in the placebo? Okay, I mean, we can't dwell on this too much. These are very, very small numbers, and it doesn't mean that it's actually worse. I would never conclude that from these data. It just, just shows you. We are running these trials, and they are just so incapable of measuring the thing people actually care about, which is for the kid that you, the kid in your life, who probably already had COVID-19, I'm going to show you in the last, one of the last slides, do they benefit by getting this shot in terms of MISC, severe disease, hospitalization, and death? Do they have a reduction? And what you're saying is this trial is so poorly powered you got seven cases and six were in the vaccine arm and one was in the control arm. And, and, you know, we just throw up our hands. I just say the, you know, the conference interval goes from minus one million to positive one million. I mean, it's even worse than that 300. Um, they just have no idea. And that is, I don't know. I just really think it's just terrible. I mean, Jonas Salk was able to randomize 400,000 kids. 
we are 70 years in the future. Evidence-based medicine has gotten a lot better and Pfizer has gotten tens of billions of dollars from these products. And there's 20% of parents who would like jump over, uh, like crawl through a minefield to get their kid this vaccine. You know, I think there's 80% who are reluctant, but there's 20% who will crawl through a minefield. I'll show you data to support that claim in a minute um, to get this. So you have like huge desire. You have this huge like call. You could say like, you know, if you, if you, if you really want your kid to get a shot, you know, it's, it's the right thing to do to enroll your kid in a randomized control trial. They have an opportunity to get the shot. I mean, if you believe you want them to get it, Better you get it in a randomized fashion so we learn something. Like, does it help? Does it hurt? Can we halt it if it's, you know, if there's some issues? And, you know, um, and then the primary endpoint should be severe disease, MIC, hospitalization, and death. And that's what we should have done. Pfizer had to have had that obligation. Uh, I'm confident history will look back and, and feel like we capitulated to the companies. And I, I think that's going to be, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wear poorly. So he, he mentions Jonas Salt, was, who was the developer of the polio, polio vaccine, vaccine, and that many, many years ago, he was able to do a, our randomized control trial with many hundreds of thousands yes. of kids. And Pfizer and Moderna certainly have the resources uh-huh. to do something similar, yeah. but they have not. They have not. And that's what I am asking. I would like to have the data yeah. instead of being told, yes, there's no data, but we're drawing this conclusion anyway. Also, without getting you know conspiracy crazy here, you can imagine how a lot of people out there will get conspiracy crazy about this. Yes. Because, you know, you're talking about these multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical companies, number one. Number two, you were talking about the trust issue. This does not help the trust issue. No. He mentions, this is interesting, 20% of parents who are going to have their kids vaccinated. Right. And that means that there is going to probably be out there a very hard push to convince the remaining 80%. Yeah, and I think, look, I think that ship has sailed. I, I don't think... Yeah. I. I, hope. I think they I think they went beyond the data to recommend, and they yeah. should have just said may. Mm-hmm. Like they they may do this, make it available, but not. And that's what and in Florida, the state is not making a push for this. That's right. They're following the same path as Sweden and Finland right. and Denmark, many European countries who have not exaggerated the risk of COVID to children are correspondingly right. not pushing this vaccine or just not recommending it because they say mm-hmm. they've all gotten it and like it doesn't show efficacy that's great or efficacy that lasts for very long so yeah (sighs) their their argument is of course well they're just waiting for the u.s lead and once the u.s does it then they'll do it and i don't think that's the case yeah i don't think so (laughs) because sweden all of these other nations that didn't like mask children yeah their children and didn't close schools their children Mm -hmm. ended up better off so i'm not sure they're Following our lead, even though Ron Klain, who's the White House chief of staff, was tweeting the other day, we're the first, first in the world. It's like, well, maybe we should examine why we're the first in the world. Because there's a lot of smart Western liberal nations out there who are making a different call on this. The dismissive argument is also, by the way, well, I guess you are you opposed to smallpox vaccines and measles, mumps, rubella and things like I guess so. Then no vaccines and conflating those two. is a problem. And yes. now Emily Oster, who is a who's an economist and a data person who I respect very much, mm-hmm. and she, I would say she's more certainly more pro the kid vaccines than I okay. am. However, she does not exaggerate the risk to kids. She basically says, look, is it worth it to get yourself like a little more protection for a brief period of time, maybe if, like to cut down on inconveniences for your family and these these quarantines and stuff? To that I say, let's just change the quarantine policies, not the vaccine right. part right. of the equation. But she 
I think rightly sort of equates it to a flu vaccine situation. She's like, look, people choose whether they want to do this for their kids. And we're not always sure of the efficacy because we don't know what flu strain is going to be happening each year. But it's voluntary and you make the decision in your family. Now, if that's where that stays. okay, fine. Fine by me. Yeah, your choice. (laughs) Do you fear that there will be some pressure put on from certain school districts for states to have mandates so that your child will not be able to go to school unless your, or let's say kindergarten, unless they're I mean, vaccinated. I think we're... Or you think that also... I was, I was worried about that. I was worried about that yeah. should... I thought if Terry McAuliffe was elected, we would have a, va- we would have a vaccine mandate, mandate for COVID-19 for, yeah, for the, public the school year. Yeah. And, and I think that Youngkin being elected took that off the table, yeah. which I think is good. You would have... You God, so many more kids would have been ill-served because their parents yeah. wouldn't want them to do it, and then they'd be out of school. There would have been a very serious flight from even more serious. From so I think we were saved from that. And I think the tide has sort of turned on that. Like so many kids have gotten Omicron and it's yeah. not, it's not that I'm not slightly concerned about later effects of like, you know, people talk about long COVID, but like they do talk about long COVID. They, they talk about it a lot, but I think largely our risk analysis for children has been broken throughout the pandemic. And now it's sort of finally correcting. It's not correcting in yeah. the highest places in public health, but it's correcting with regular people. Yeah, maybe yes. from the ground. And I, th- I don't think that those folks are going to put up with it. I think one of the issues, though, is when they recommend, I think there's pressure on pediatricians to push. And I wonder what happens there. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know either. Make your own decisions. I'm just saying, like, the data's not there. It's just yeah. not there. There's Marty just... McCurry, who I think he works with Youngkin now in the Virginia mm-hmm. Health Department, says... A more honest announcement says Rochelle Walensky said today, I endorsed a chips recommendation that all children six months through five years of age should receive a COVID-19 vaccine. Parents, I strongly encourage you to get your children vaccinated against COVID-19. He says a more honest announcement would have been we approved the vax for babies and toddlers based on very little data. While we believe it's safe for this population, the study sample size was too low to make a conclusion about safety. Note that studies were done in kids without natural immunity. Yeah. And like that. Yes. But the ones who want it are still going to go get it. Right. Just be honest about it. Enjoy my warning labels. I don't. <laughs> this this episode brought to you by Ivermectin. <laughs> you beat me to it. But I do. I recommend uh, at Marty Makari M A K A R Y. Yeah. Or for a Twitter follow, I got to look up Vinay Prasad's Twitter handle, and yeah. at at Kelly K E L L E Y K J K G A as in Georgia. She follows this stuff really closely and calls out the CDC frequently on exaggerating risk to kids. We shouldn't have done it. And Prasad makes the argument that, like, look, in the end, had there been no precautions for kids, we as a society and kids themselves probably would have all just been better off. Like, if we had just not yeah, just, done that. Right. <laughs> like pretty, you, you can't pretty, see me, but I'm stretching my yeah, arms out like Pretty much you know, nothing wide open. would have yeah. been better than what we did. Yeah. That's right. Because they all got it anyway. We're at 75% I know. seroprevalence. They all got it anyway. That's right. Warning labels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a country song about that. Really? They ought to put warning labels you know, when we started this, bad when, when we started the sub- songs. I think that's the wrong tune, but it's something like that. Before we started like the substandard, like from the get-go, we immediately got slapped with explicits. <laughs> I don't even remember it was that explicit. And then we, it became that. It, just, it became self-fulfilling. 
But early on, I was like, really? Well, if you're going to tell me I'm explicit, I'm going to go for yeah, it. Yeah, and how do they know? Is it something because somebody reports it or is there somebody listening? There's a million podcasts. Maybe you have there. a troll who's like, I'm yeah, going to show yeah, these guys. guys. Yeah. All right. Go. <laughs> Let's move on to something a little yeah. more, a little more light. Of, yes. Dave Chappelle's alma mater. Speaking of explicit. Yes. Is here in. <laughs> Well material. done. Thank you. Well done. Is here in Washington, D.C. You could see it, right? The Duke Ellington School. Yep. And it is paying tribute to him by renaming a building in his honor just months after he got heckled on campus during the transgender controversy about his own. Now, there's an update this, to this story that I'm oh, going to go back to at okay. the end. But you'll remember, I think we mentioned it on the show. Mm-hmm. Duke Ellington School of the Arts in Washington, D.C. set to rename its performance theater after its most noted, most noted alumni. He paid a visit to his old high school back in November while he was taking heat for jokes about the transgender community. Things got heated when he invited students who disagreed to speak during an assembly. First of all, nicely, nicely adherent with his free speech yeah. philosophy to have people speak up. Say your, say your piece. One student stepped up and called him a bigot, adding, I'm 16 and I think you're childish. Some students, Some students wanted the school to reverse its decision over naming the building after him. Dave challenged both his supporters and his opponents asking both sides to raise money for the school. And if the opponents raised more money, he'd gladly forego the honor of having the building renamed. It turns out his supporters raised the most money, so the building will be called the Dave Chappelle Theater. So in the end, money where your mouth is, the supporters of Dave and free speech came to the rescue. But great update. I I enjoy Dave Chappelle so much. He is a clever dude. Yes, he he always has, though. And he's so interesting. This is his move. This is the update. At tonight's naming ceremony, Dave Chappelle announced he's not placing his name on the Duke Ellington High School Theater. Instead, Chappelle decided it will be called the Theater for Artistic Freedom and Expression. While addressing the crowd, Chappelle mentioned the backlash from students about his special, The Closer, sincerely hurt him. Oh. But So it's named after this idea for yeah. which he is fighting, and his supporters won the, I would have won kept the it. challenge. I would have kept it as Chappelle just to stick it to them. I know. You know? But I do like that he... He takes the he takes the focus off of him and onto this larger idea. I don't think that's a cop out. I think that's sort of a beautiful gesture and less narcissistic than most of Hollywood, which right. is why he's interesting and I'd, good. I'd like to know what the margin of his supporters' victory was. I don't know, but I'm impressed. I hope it's large because yeah. I'd be thoroughly depressed if well, it you know, wasn't. I, I think it's one of those like talk is cheap things, right? Yeah. Like outrage is pretty easy. Yeah. But raising money's harder. Well, it's just like you're mentioning the 16-year-old saying that I, you know, that he or she thinks that Chappelle is childish. Have they all lost their humor? They've all lost their sense of humor. Well, and the they, they also jokes don't. Anymore. Well, I mean, you're not supposed to self-reflect when you're 16, but they don't. <laughs> they don't reflect on the fact that they might be being childish, right? The, yeah. That the, that perhaps their anger is disproportionate. That's never something that yeah. we consider. It always amazes me that, you know, that. Particularly these days, progressives are so thin-skinned about this sort of thing where they can... I think they've been so used to just having all the laughs on their side yeah. that, you know, now that they're given a dose of their own medicine, it, they, they find it shocking. And I think conservatives, we're just used to having been made fun of forever. Yeah, that's what you we know? do. It's, you, know, you, you roll with it. There's I, fun. You know, everybody gets their turn. I joked about this when Hillary was running against Obama. Huh. She was so clearly uncomfortable with her position in that race and I said to people who were confused about it, I said, oh, it's because she's the Republican in this race. She's yes. the painfully uncool well, person put up against this, like, cultural avatar who's all the things. And she's, like, 
try hard and she's smart and she's like checking all the boxes, but she's not making it because the culture has granted him this status and she can never have it because she is lame. That is the decision the culture has made. And that's what being a Republican is. And and speaking of Hillary. Mm Mm-hmm. Little dose of electoral realness. Yes. From Hillary. She could have used it in her own campaign, I gotta say. That's always the case. I gotta say. So Hillary warns Dems. This is a this is a you love to hear it. Oh you okay. You love to hear it. We need a sound effect for that, by the way. We do. We're giving it to Hillary. Oh my gosh, who knew? She warns Dems on trans rhetoric and defund the police. Honestly, it's good advice, writes Alapundit at uh, at Hot Air, one of my favorite writers. I'm just not sure she's in a position to offer it. (laughs) Fair point. Here's her quote. We are standing on the precipice of losing our democracy and everything that everybody else cares about then goes out the window, she says. Look, the most important thing is to win the election. The alternative is so frightening that whatever does not help you win should not be a priority. Another instance of this is defund the police campaign, she says, in addition to the trans rhetoric, quote, you need accountable, accountable measures, but you also need policing. It doesn't even pass the common sense politics test not to believe that. Some positions are so extreme on both right and left that they, they, they retreat to their corners. Politics should be the art of addition, not subtraction. You know, 2016, Hillary could have used this advice. <laughs> the thing that's worth remembering is the party... The party has that the, the party has left her there. It's now much more further to the left yeah. than when she and her husband were in office Oof, in man. the nineties. I know um, it's it's a whole different Democratic Party. It's a different now. era. Behold, yeah. You know, in her time, you remember there was the Blue Dog Democrats. Remember the DLC, the Democratic Leadership yes, Council, yes. Harold Ford. Remember Harold Ford. Oh, and all yes. these, you know, people who were, you know, like sort of centrist Democrat. Joe Lieberman, for example. The DLC has been basically now supplanted by the squad. They're the ones who are calling the shots. And so, I mean, you were hearing obviously a lot less about defunding the police. So that part is working for them. But the trans rhetoric, they're fully all in. And I think Joe Biden, as the sort of the flag bearer of the Democratic Party, has pretty much decided he is all in and beholden to them because it's the the only voting block left. They're getting some pushback on this, but the thing with the the school lunch money being withheld based on your LGBTQ plus policies is really, if a Republican tried to pull that, like, oh no, poor kids aren't going to get their lunches because you you guys in Peoria are not doing, or no, it'd be San Francisco. You guys in San Francisco are not doing what Mm -hmm. I think you should do with public schools. That would not fly. So he's getting pushback on it, but... It's a sign of how much they're willing to put in this basket. And I just want to give credit to Van Jones. Van Jones, oh, yeah. he's on CNN talking about the elitism of the Democratic Party. I saw this. And Van Jones and I often agree. I think he's a very good analyst. We are completely different in ideo- ideology. Yeah. But we, are, we have been on set before many times accidentally making the exact same argument now I come from the right and he comes from the left, but he's good at he's good at figuring out, and I think both of us are decent at seeing the excesses of both sides. And the funny thing is, we will communicate the same thing, and our and this is like a, a diagnosis of all that's bad in American politics. And our tribes on Twitter will hate tweet the other one because they're just of the wrong tribe. But right. we said the same thing. There's no reason yeah. to be bad. Anyway, he he uh, he communicates what I would like to communicate about the Democratic Party in this clip. Becoming a party of the very high and the very low. Uh, if, if you pull out the working class, you've got people who are very well educated and very well off. Those people talk funny, 
Latinx. I've never met a Latinx. I've never met a BIPOC. I've never met, you know, all this, this is weird stuff that these highly educated people say is bizarre. Nobody talks that way at the barber shop, the nail salon, uh, the, 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 uh, the grocery store, uh, the community center. But that's how we talk now. So that's weird. And then the people who are very low down on the economic ladder need a bunch of stuff. You wind up over-promising, oh, we're going to give you reparations to, to people at the bottom of the economic ladder, talking weird to appeal to people at the top of the economic ladder, and the working class walks away from you. That is the danger we're facing. Yes. Oh, yes Y'all are is. weird, yeah. and you're talking weird. And talking weird and being weird is not the way to appeal to normal voters. He's exactly right. And he puts it so well. Yeah. And I don't just say that because that's what I would say. But that is what I would say. <laughs> they, they, they have their work cut out for them. Because if they do want to break out of it and follow what he says or what Hillary says or whoever else about it, that would be a very messy, ugly fight yeah. for the battle of the party. One last thing before we close. Yes. We're going to play a clip for you because I love it. It's my favorite thing I heard all week other than Danger Zone. But it's sort of the antidote to all the political infighting mm-hmm. that we, we talk about all the time. First, I'd like to note that the attempted assassination of Brett Kavanaugh still isn't a big story. I don't Never, never became a no. huge national story. The president has never no. made a statement on it, although his White House has said, like, yeah, we think that's bad. Grudgingly. But <laughs> Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor was speaking to a group yes. of largely liberal students and lawyers and gave a little bit of a soliloquy about Clarence Thomas, her fellow justice. And I just think it exemplifies, I think the court, when it's at its best, can be the best of American politics, particularly Scalia and Ginsburg's relationship was very close and friendly. They traveled together. And though they disagreed so strongly about philosophies about American government, they liked each other as people Mm -hmm. and had other interests in common. And that is something that they modeled for everyone. And it looks like, I did not predict this, but Sonia Sotomayor and Clarence Thomas yeah. doing a little bit of the same here. So she, she has this to share about him, and I just want to leave us with that. It's a little bit of a, it's about a two-minute clip, but it is beautiful. So thank you to Justice Sotomayor for putting this out into the public sphere. We need it. But I suspect I have probably disagreed with him more than with any other justice that we have not joined each other's opinions more than anybody else. And yet, Justice Thomas is the one justice in the building that literally knows every employee's name, that they, every one of them. And not only does he know their names, he remembers their families' names and histories. He's the first one who will go up to someone when you're walking with him and say, is your son okay? How's your daughter doing in college? He's the first one that when my stepfather died, sent me flowers in Florida. He is a man who cares deeply about the court as an institution, about the people who work there, but about people. He has a different vision than I do about how to help people and about their responsibilities to help themselves. I've often said to people, Justice Thomas believes that every person can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I believe 
that some people can't get to their bootstraps without help. They need someone to help them lift their foot up so they can reach those bootstraps. That's a very different philosophy of life. But I think we share a common understanding about people and kindness towards them. That's why I can be friends with him and still continue our daily battle <laughs> over our difference of opinions and cases. And uh, I do want to, but this was a special episode. Because yeah, we, we covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of ground. <laughs> we, 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 we went from Top Gun to possibly being labeled as misinformation. You know. You know. And the only thing we were not really was explicit, so we're not going to get that. Although this is episode number 69. That wraps up another edition of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you can follow me on Twitter at Victorina Mattis. I'm Mary Catherine Ham. I'm at MK Hammer on Twitter and subset at MK Hammer Time on Instagram. It's hard to say all my things. And, you know, closing out, just, you know, sometimes I'm sad about the American politics and society. Mostly I'm sad about the loss of the love scene and take my breath away and the new Top Gun. And I know Vic's with me on that. Degradation of society. Decline is a choice. I wanted Vic. to see more again, more meat and potatoes. Why didn't somebody turn the light on? It was like the blue light. The blue light. <laughs> Thank you for being with us. This has been a Nebulous Media Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>